Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 101. I was going to say Dalmatians. Oh, okay. There's no joke or pun that has anything to do with anything. It's just like free association. Mm. I can't control it, and I have no filter. Okay. What are we doing? Oh, it's a podcast. Okay, this is Shut Up and Watch This. No, we didn't get there. No, back up, back it up, back, back, pull back, beep, 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 pull it back. Okay. Um, That was a garbage truck backing up, by the way. Okay. Shut up and watch this episode number 101. 101. We're a couple based in Austin, Texas and... Uh, Eugene, Oregon. You don't know where you are. For the time being. Portland, maybe. Possibly Portland. Maybe someday we'll both be at the same place at the same time. Um, We are right now actually in the same place at the same time. That's true. So welcome to our, uh, what is this, biannual, bi-monthly, I don't know. Biannual means twice a year or two every two years, I don't know. It's not. We're not doing this as frequently as we I used to, is what I'm saying. I think it's twice a year, I think, okay. if I remember my periodical classes okay. correctly. All right, we're aiming for once a month, doesn't always happen. It's true. We are long gone from the days of every two weeks. Yes. Let's just sit with that. Okay, so... This is the podcast where we're getting to know each other better by mm-hmm. uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. And we share our... And who are you? Famous... <laughs> why are you... Why did you just disrupt the flow like the that? The flow. Well, there, it's because that, that was I'm just I'm waiting for my, my one line that I throw in. Well, then try, try not to space out. Okay. Okay? Just stick with me here. Okay. Okay. Um, my name is Dave. Okay, your name is Dave. I'm Ashley. That's who I am. They've heard that like five times in the last okay. 30 That's seconds. Fine. Okay. Um, yes. Each time we actually record one of these on a bi-monthly or monthly basis, one of us chooses something. <laughs> yes. For the other person. Yes. We watch it together and mm-hmm. then we unpack it all here for you. We have kind of, we're kind of in a zone where we're more often covering the ones that got away i'm doing air quotes right here and that means these are often um movies that we watched together before we started the podcast so Mm. early on we shared some movies that meant something to us in some way or that you know you've never seen this oh my god um and then we started the podcast after that it was a timing issue it didn't work out because it it was a timing it didn't work out it was it was (laughs) like we didn't like meet and immediately start doing a podcast there were several pre-podcast years that's right okay Oh, so it's my turn. Yes, it was your turn. Because we just did our fantastic, magnificent clips show. No, there was no clips show. The 100th episode, mm-hmm. there were no clips. I'm going to put a clip into one of you these. Were, you threatened to before, but I guess it didn't happen. If we ever, this is funny. <laughs> yeah. Watch this. If we ever cover a Mike Lee movie. Yes. I might put some clips from Naked okay. into that episode. Okay. Well. Should that ever happen. Should that ever happen. Okay. okay. Spoilers. We never record these out of order, by the way. I just want to clarify. <laughs> okay, so it was my turn. Yes. And I chose Something Wild. I did not, not the 1961 movie Something Wild, starring Carol know, Baker, I don't, I don't but the unrelated that. 1986, I think, 1986 mm. film by Jonathan Demme. Yes. Something Wild, starring Melanie Griffith, Jeff Daniels, and Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. And I think probably... Some amount of our conversation today is probably going to be, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> what genre is this? Where does this fall? What what even are we dealing with here? Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit male fantasy, just a tad. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about that in turn. Okay. <laughs> Everyone wants to uh, 
be at the point of death with some horrible uh, thug I trying to really kill you. I wasn't really talking about that part. I but. know you weren't, <laughs> but I just wanted to say it has elements, of yes, course. Yes, yes. Um, so why did I choose? One could argue. One we could will. Argue. We'll, we will. Are we going to argue? <laughs> Not argue. An argument. Should I just stop this a now? A structured, you know, like a theoretical argument. We're having a discussion. Yes. This is a conversation. Yeah, but like when you're talking about rhetoric. The argument. Do we have to talk about rhetoric again? We don't have to. Okay. <laughs> um, why did I choose this movie? I like this movie. It's kind of, I've always found it kind of fascinating. I don't, and I, I think a lot of the reason I did is because how unexpected everything in is, is in it. And I remember that feeling of being thrown off and unsettled and surprised um, when I saw it, which would have been when I was, I saw it when it came out, 15 years old, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, don't do the math. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I saw this in the movie theater with my sister because we used to go, we used to pal around and go to the movies together. She's nine years older than me, but there were a few years where she was my guardian. She yeah. raised me when I was a teen. And we used to go to like Friday night movie kind of thing, hang out, get burritos, <laughs> <laughs> go to a movie, catch whatever weird thing was, was around. We didn't know who Jonathan Demi was then. Jonathan Demi didn't know who Jonathan Demi was. Jonathan Demi was not the Jonathan Demi we know now. Um, I guess he had done, he'd made Stop Making Sense already. Yeah. He was mostly known for Melvin and Howard in 1980, which I still haven't seen, um, but was very well regarded by critics. Um, he started out with Roger Corman. And so his first mm. films were stuff like Caged Heat, you know, prison yeah. movie, prison wim- women's Fast, women's prison. Movie. Kill, kill. No, that's not him. Is that's, that not Roger no. Corman? Okay. That's Rod. That's Russ Meyer. Oh, thank but you. I don't think Sorry. there's any Corman connection. Otherwise, right. it's from okay. the schlocky realm of same uh, sort of thing. Same so. sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So okay. <laughs> I want to talk about this movie. I felt like seeing it again, and I thought it would make an interesting, argumentative conversation. <laughs> Just from a rhetorical standpoint. Maybe I should put the clips from Naked into this episode. Well, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, if it's, it feels very much like, although I kind of love this, this sort of era that it, I'll say I never saw it because I was not five when it came out. So, <laughs> and my you parents. You were not five? I you, was were, not, you were actually five. No, I, I was, bo- I was born in October. And so I would bet this movie came out in the summer. Oh, so you're saying this is a, a PG five movie? <laughs> yeah. Since you weren't five, your parents didn't take you to, had you they, been five, had they you might would have been, definitely have seen this. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Um. <laughs> if you um, want to go for logic here. I actually don't even know if my parents saw this film. I, and I don't remember it being in. Um, I remember seeing posters for it in. Uh, Would you video like to know stores. why? It didn't do very well. Okay. Okay. I don't think. Interesting. They they just weren't buying what Jeff Daniels was selling. No. Well, uh, people didn't know what they were seeing. Yeah. It was marketed as a sort of '80s romantic com- screwball comedy kind of thing. Mm. And then we're going to talk about this halfway through. It turns into a completely different movie. Yeah, it does. And one that disturbed and upset people and that they weren't expecting. And it wasn't marketed that way. You know, the way they're marketing movies like now where you've got the Mean Girls remake that doesn't even show that it's a musical. It was also kind of judgmental of the like 80s parents raising kids kind of thing. Oh, and yuppies. Yeah. And uh, the whole Wall Street 
Gordon Gecko, like I make yeah. money and I'm a yuppie and I'm into that. Yeah, that, I was a little critical life. of that particular lifestyle. So, um, which would have been the prevalent lifestyle in 1986 because you know all the boomers had settled down and stopped being hippies and started making money and raising children and living in the suburbs, like they said they never would. For me, there's like <laughs> two or three. Sorry, I didn't mean to like no, steamroll no, okay. over your that's point okay. there. I didn't. I You're absolutely right. This is my right. little uh, tail end of Gen X uh, rant there. Um. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, I, I actually can't really put myself in the mindset of being a teenager watching this movie, other yeah. than like I really liked it. Yeah. Like, be, most I think because I mean, what can I say? The the unexpected mess with yeah. genres, which yeah. I still really appreciate. Yeah. Ray Liotta is completely riveting and terrifying. Yeah. And he still is. He still is, yeah. And this was his first role in a movie. Yeah. It was his big break. I think it made him a star because he got booked. He got bookings after this. Yeah. He started to be in things. I still think it's one of the best things he ever did. Yeah. Um, is he's, he's in Casino or no? He's, he's in, in Goodfellas. Goodfellas. He's the star of Goodfellas. He's Goodfellas, yeah. Yeah. He's good fellas. Yeah, he's good fellas. That's like when you, what is it? Like you call that guy the practice? The practice, yeah. That's not his name. That's not the name of the Dylan character. McDermott. Or is, is it? The practice. It's not Dermot Mulroney? It's not Dermot Mulroney. Okay, we have an ongoing argument about who is D- Dylan It was McDermott. an SNL sketch a long time ago. Okay, it well, hilarious. it's actually a sketch in my head, yeah. too. Um, so, okay, let's finally get to what is this. What Can you tell us a little bit about the setup of the movie? Um. So guys having lunch at a cafe in Soho. What kind of guy is he? He's uh he's he may or may not be vice president of some financial company. We don't know. <laughs> I mean he works for this company. It's not clear he's whether a banker, he, he right? actually got a, a promotion or not. But yeah, he works in a financial asset company of some sort. Um it's never really clear. He works with money. That's what he does. Yes. You know. So um, he's a yuppie. And um, in a suit in a Soho cafe. Yeah. He walks out on his check at this, which like why? But because he's a rebel. Um, and this woman stops him and is like, you didn't pay your check. And OK, describe the woman. Um, sh- sh- she's got Louise Brooks hair. There you go. <laughs> Did you know that that character was Lulu, the Louise Brooks character? And oh, her, okay. and the name of the character she Okay, I she didn't realize she pulled it. I it's, forgot about that. It's funny. Um, my good friend from high school, um, his stepdad was like way obsessed with the Louise Brooks, and that's the only reason so that I know Louise anything Brooks about. Louise Brooks was one of those people, like <laughs> um, James Dean or Marilyn yeah. Monroe, or maybe slightly more counterculture yeah. that kind of came back in the eighties, nineties yeah. for a while, and people had postcards and stuff. Deco, I think they refound or re- refound yeah. her old movies. Yeah, anyway, silent movie star. She's got the what is it? A bob? Yeah, Bla- it's a, bob. a black bob. It's it's the kind of bob that's so short that you have to have like a ducktail in the back. Um, yeah. Because because it doesn't it's shorter than the actual end of the back hair at the back of your neck. So they could so. not be more opposite from each other. Yeah. He's a guy in a suit. She's a hipster, funky Soho downtown. Yeah, she's wearing like I mean like now that would be considered cultural appropriation, but it was like she's wearing like African African jewelry yeah. and you know yeah it would. Like nowadays, it would be considered. It would not fly. It would not fly. I don't think it'd even fly in a movie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. Let think alone, so. you wouldn't be walking around New York like that, probably. Yeah, 
<laughs> so anyway. But I mean, I feel like that's very much like the look of New York in that time. Yeah. You know, like it's Debbie Harry, it's Andy Warhol, it's that kind of the, you know, Basquiat kind of Oh, it's arty. it's exactly that era. Yeah. And uh, Soho was more like that then, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, set up what so happens. Was, so, um she Ask him for the money, and he's like, I'll pay, I'll pay. And um, then she likes, she's like, you're a rebel, come with me. Uh, and he's like, don't you have to go back to your job? <laughs> and she's like, I don't work I there. I don't work there. Yeah, she doesn't work there. I'll she, give you a ride back to the office. So she just noticed him, and... Uh, she's going to give him a ride back to the, to the office. office. She does not give him a ride She back goes down the Holland ha- Tunnel instead. Yeah. Starts... To, to Starts drinking uh, Seagram's. Which totally freaks him out. Yeah. That's dangerous. Don't do that. Yeah, it's weird. He's like sober or something like that. He says he hadn't had a drink in years or something like that. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Well, well we can unpack <laughs> the things that he says yeah, that's a little true. bit later. Um, but he's like completely shocked. And freaking out because he's yeah. got to get back to the office. His beeper is going off. Yeah. She tosses it out the window. Mm. And she's like, we're going. We're, we're, just, we're, we're heading out. It's funny. <laughs> I'm taking a shortcut. It's funny. Like, I know there was a whole like beeper culture thing yeah. that I completely missed out because I was like a child. Oh, so. you so missed out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, did you ever have one? I never had a beeper. Okay. Oh, yeah, I was like... <laughs> oh my God, that just reminded me of the real world New York where that girl asked the the other girl if she was a drug dealer because she yeah. had a beeper going. Why do you have a beeper anyway? Are you a drug dealer? Well, that's it's interesting because like there was that definite move from like a beeper being a thing that like a douchey like yuppie would have to a thing that a drug dealer would have like that was like a continuum <laughs> same thing with the like big brick cell phone things i feel like there was a kid in eighth grade with the beeper who probably did not have it for a good reason okay when, interesting. When, even when i grew up in san francisco just say well they better watch um, out for the wire <laughs> exactly yeah uh so she kidnaps him air yeah. quotes he protests yeah maybe a little too much yeah He's married, he's got kids, he's or a responsible he says he, he banker. Says he's married and he has kids. He's just he's just got a promotion. He's gonna be start as VP on Monday. Yeah. They what do they do? Where do they go first? Um she goes to a liquor store first, is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And steals um She robs the till. She, she, yeah, she robs the till at the liquor store. But not using not, kind of a sort of a um like um a happy, ruse. Yeah, happy birthday Hattie. Um paper moon kind of thing like, she gets the guy to go up to the top shelf on the ladder you know to, and what was distracting a, to me about that is she's like glenlivet i've got to have some of that glenlivet like as if that's not the most common scotch that there is it's hey like, the, <laughs> let me just say okay. apparently in 1986 that's top shelf okay shit. i was like because that you know like we know she's so drinking many seagrams of, yeah <laughs> It doesn't it's not matter. Lagavulin or it anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the one on the top shelf, yeah. which is why she asked for yeah. it. Yeah, because he's, he's, he had to get up on a ladder. By the way, I love one thing I love about this movie, and I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but we tend to do that, I guess. And if you don't want that, then maybe... Um, okay. Uh, is Tracy Walter, the character actor who plays this. Mm. Um, I was just going to say, I love that Jonathan Demme gives little roles, yeah. like lots of character and mm. personality. It's never just like an extra, like random person. Yeah. So this guy, Tracy Walter, is like in every movie in the mm. mid 80s. He's got a weird little part in Repo Man. Oh, okay. So, and in my head, I kind of, there's these 
two or three movies around this time that mm-hmm. I really like. And I think it, it's Repo Man, it's Something Wild, and um, After Hours, which okay. this has After Hours vibes in a way. That's interesting. I've never seen After Hours all the way through. Oddly, every time I try to watch it, I fall asleep because I start it too late. So that's... <laughs> I take this as a challenge yeah. and a future episode. <laughs> Just it's, saying. It's Scorsese, right? It is Scorsese. Yeah, that's what but I But it's so not like the other Scorsese movies. And so I think we you, haven't done any Scorsese. No, we, well, we did, but mm. we did not do a Scorsese, Scorsese movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We did Alice Doesn't Live Here that's anymore. That's right. I know you're done with the mobster movies and don't, we don't need to do that. Yeah. You've seen Goodfellas and all that. You've yeah. probably seen Casino. I don't know if you've seen Mean Streets. You've seen Taxi Driver. You know male Scorsese 70s movies. movies, yeah. So I picked the movie he made about a woman okay. because I yeah. thought, I think it's a great film. Yeah. Um, okay, anyway, sorry. Tracy Walter plays the part like he's got he's got tweed and the tweed jacket and a pipe and he's got putting on an English accent or something. Oh, yes, uh, yes, I can get the Glenn so Levy for it. I mean, like, what is the trajectory of this guy moving from England to New Jersey to open a liquor store, but... <laughs> it's fake because when after when he's being interviewed <laughs> yeah. on TV about the robbery, yeah. he doesn't have an accent. Oh, okay. He just puts yeah. it on to have this little chop. Interesting. So even that, you got a character in this little extra. He's a guy who puts on an English accent, carries a pipe, and pretends to be an English uh, barkeep or mm. like a liquor store fine spirits salesman. Yes. And he's really just some guy in Jersey because okay. well. they're in Jersey at this point. Okay, long story short. They go to a motel room. Things are off, even more yeah. off than we think from the get-go because she robs the till like it's yeah. something she does all the time. Yeah. Not at gunpoint or anything, just while the guy's got his back turned, she darts out. He's a closet rebel. She yes. she tells him that in the car yeah. as, they're, as they're on their way to this uh, first stop. She's like, I know, I got your number. I know exactly who you are. You're a cl- you're you're a closet rebel. You walk out on the check sometimes because you don't feel like paying. You steal candy bars from the yeah. store, <laughs> and he's like, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I am a rebel. When municipal bonds came out, I was the first. You know, and he's yeah. like goes off on some completely nerdy thing about what a rebel he is in the financial industry. Yes. <laughs> Knock off a liquor store. Go to a shitty cheap motel. Yeah. Although I have to say. I'm totally into the style of this hotel room. I miss when you can go into shitty hotel rooms and they look like that. <laughs> they don't look like that anymore. They've all been redone, you know. But this is like remaining from the 50s kind of awesomeness. Kitschy. I, I want you to go to town on the style and design yeah. of production design and the colors of this movie at yeah. some point in, in a little bit. Okay. It's, it's, it's all the very 80s Memphis style stuff you even know. the credits are memphis style yeah, with the yeah. sort of bright uh yellow and um pink pink yeah uh lettering with the jagged sort of font mm-hmm. very yeah it was very avant-garde at the time <laughs> did you know we haven't we're still only 15 minutes into the movie or yes, 10 10 minutes yeah okay so he's the only money he has on them is the company plastic yeah. What if What are they going to think in accounting if I pay if if they see me uh, charge for a, a cheap hotel in Jersey at three thirty in the afternoon well, on a Friday? Also, the thing about this is he has to carry around like the the receipts, like oh yeah, because <laughs> of the eighty, you just like slide the the card the card over. Well, there she was wants no him digital. to pay for the room. Yeah, so oh. he he uses the Christmas money. He's got he the, Christmas the Christmas fund money. money. I can't use it's the Christmas fund money. <laughs> Well, he uses the Christmas he, fun money. He uses the Christmas Pretty fun. much uses it up in the movie. Yeah. And then and then they have sex. Yes. Oh, uh, in a weird way. Yeah. Handcuffed him to the bed. Well, 
that's not that weird. No, that's not where I'm going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she phones up his office. Oh, that's Gets right. his boss on the line. Yeah. While they're doing it. Yeah. And makes him have an awkward conversation. Yeah. About what about how he's not coming back to the office. And uh, he'll have the the report on the on the desk Monday morning first thing. Yeah, that was a it's a pretty um, realist. I don't know. It's it's an interesting as far as like sex scenes go. It's it's kind of it's, it's, not it's a, both more explicit and less explicit than I would have expected. It's to, more. I remember it being. I still think of it yeah. as more explicit than yeah. you're expecting. Yeah, because yeah. you're being set up for romantic comedy. Yeah. And even 80s romantic comedy does not have that much nudity or explicit. Well, and, to it. and pretty implied, uh, not not implied, sort of like direct, like oral sex going on, you know, which is like not when he's on the phone with his in boss. In 1986, is I that guess is still, pretty that's still striking. pretty rare. Yeah. Okay. So. so we're not dealing with a normal movie already yeah. for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, also, she puts on weird, like, reggae music or something yeah. and then I, I think you turned away so i don't know if you saw more cultural appropriation she pulls out like african like shakers and like goes like woo, and she pulls out like a voodoo doll and waves it around in yeah. his face she tears off his undershirt she tears off her her blouse you know it's funny she kind of reminds me of the um from uh, pretty in pink uh the like store owner that uh, molly ringwald works for oh, yeah. the record shop owner kind yeah. of that kind of thing same General timeline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same, maybe the same year even. So, <laughs> I mean, except a little more uh, forward. <laughs> so what have we got here? We've got, tell, talk about the male fantasy thing. Well, I mean, like, I assume that. Because that's all what the setup is. Well, okay. And like, that's what, the, this is like, I think a particular 80s kind of thing is that like I believe like and this is just from my experience listening to Dan Savage for 20 years or whatever which is that conservative people or people trapped in conservative type environments suburbs long for that like loss of control and so this is like a complete loss of control like this woman like forces him into a car forces him into having you know wild sex Oh my God, what should I do? What is happening? Yeah, and so, and I mean, handcuffs him. So to me, this is all like, I mean, like it's essentially a snuff film for someone who's looking to, you know, completely lose control, you know, and be, instead of being in a position of being dominant and being in charge, being the one that is. Okay, and and (laughs) this is Jeff Daniels, right? It's essentially light BDSM, essentially. (laughs) He's such a... What do you want to say? Next guy next door, yeah. charming, like yeah. mild mannered, yeah, kind of silly. Like he's very charming and likable. Yeah. Like he usually is, except probably in the Squid and the Whale. Yeah. Um, but he's always got a Jeff Danielsness about him that is very likable. Yeah. And um despite all the like, oh my god, I have to get back to the office. Mm-hmm. And there's very much a he death protests too much kind yeah, of thing exactly. going on. He's he into is it. totally into this. Yeah. Basically. He does not protest that much. He's he is purportedly married and has kids and yeah. should get back. Oh, let's talk about that phone call he makes the to his wife back home. Oh, yeah. So after like in the morning, um, or maybe it's the same day, he call he pretends to call his wife. But like what I didn't realize the first time we saw this is that he's talking to a dial tone. Mm-hmm. So like he, 
you know, um, she's far enough away across the motel room. Lulu thinks that he's checking in with his wife. He's like, Oh, I'll be in tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon at the latest, that sort of thing. Um, so at that point it's clear that they're both lying about something. But like, what I think is interesting about this is like, this is the reason that it's such a male fantasy is like, I can't, maybe it's just not very realistic for, for Lulu to behave in this way. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It's okay. Not. So it's when, like that Madonna movie is is similar. This like uh, desperately seeking Susan. Desperately seeking Susan. Also a male fantasy. Yeah. With a female protagonist because yeah. Rosanna Arquette is the at, at the center of it. But I definitely I agree with you one hundred percent. I like this movie, but I cannot in my mind like the biggest problem I have with it yeah. is the fact that Melanie Griffith picks him up and takes him off to yeah. go have sex in a motel room and like what. What is going on? Yeah. Like, I can't even make that make sense motivation-wise for her character. Yeah. Why does she pick him up? Well, I mean... Are we supposed to think that she does this all the time? It's... They and imply why that she's done, she it, says, done it before. Well, he says, I've never done anything like this before. And she goes, well, <laughs> don't worry about it. I have. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Right as they're about to have sex. Yeah. But did, does she really? And yeah. why does she choose him? What is going on here? Can you make this make sense? Because I have to set that aside, like the setup of the movie, even though it's funny and it's entertaining, it doesn't make sense to me. And I have to just kind of set it aside. And I like who they turn out to be in the story it tells about these people, but I can't make it make sense that she impulsively picks up guys at Soho cafes and takes them off to a motel across the hall and tunnel in Jersey. Like <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense to me. No, it's, it really, I mean, like, I think like in the script, they tried to justify it with her seeing him not paying as the thing that makes him special from other like, yuppie like types she has a, that she, she has sees. a spark that. Yeah. Actually, I guess that would be the thing, but like, uh, I, okay. it just feels a little manic pixie dream girl to me. In 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 the official sense of yeah. of that, you know, the like, here's this crazy woman that's going to sweep you off your feet and tell you the meaning of life. And but then when it <laughs> gets as weird as it, I mean, or as explicit as it does, it seems to leave manic pixie. And I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't. Well, it. she so does. That's my I mean, criticism like, of the movies. I I don't feel like the pickup in the beginning is motivated no. for her character. No, it's not. I mean, yeah. that's not who she seems to be the rest I of the movie. I feel like it's a quick way to get into the story and that's fine, but it does. So it doesn't make sense. Do we but. just have to under, <laughs> is it important to set up for us that it's a sexual thing at first? Partly? Or are we supposed to, or is the sex supposed to thing be the thing that partly hooks him? The impulsiveness, the like, be, being taken against his will and all that. Yeah. Or what, why is it necessary that they have sex in the motel room? I, I, I mean, like it really isn't. <laughs> okay. So I mean, and I think it, it makes him a less interesting character that it's sex that, you know, cause, cause there's several times in the movie, like when he's having conversation with them, the right. dude they run into the reunion where they have some of that like top like terrible like locker room male talk kind of stuff. Well, he doesn't. You know, well, that guy does, but I mean, like, you know, it's it's yeah. I mean, when it all comes down to it, 
men made this movie. Yeah, it's true. As they do most of the movies. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so let's let's pick up with where we go next in the movie. Yeah. It turns into a road movie for a while. Yeah, so they're they're on the road. They um I just have to say I love road movies. Yeah, they get really drunk and crash the car into a um to uh t- what is the it's for Scrapple. The best Scrapple uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> Um, so she, I guess we they find, just leave the car yeah. crashed into the sign yeah. and get another room that night after driving all day. Yeah. And, um, when they get up, the car is being towed by the police. And, uh, so, uh, the cop is played by director John Sayles. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. There's all these yeah. neat cameos in it. Well then, so they have to go buy another car, which Who do they like, buy the car from? that's when he finds, uh, from, uh, John Waters. John Waters is the, <laughs> is the sleazy car salesman. And could you cast a sleazy car salesman better than John Waters? I mean, he's a little fancy for a cheesy car salesman, he's, but I just love him. I love John he's, Waters. <laughs> he's so like can't take his eyes off him. He's yeah. just so he's smarmy. In yeah, this. he is smarmy. Yeah. He is. Um, so um, and love that they have like all these great like old like cars with fins, like fifties mm-hmm. and sixties giant automobiles. I was like sitting there wondering how much gas. They were using driving yeah. those things around, you know, which weigh like a hundred tons or whatever. <laughs> I'm a little unclear about the about the timing of this, yeah. but there's very soon on this road on this journey now towards yeah. Pennsylvania. So yeah. maybe it already happened. Is there's another episode of Walking the Check? Yeah, you want to tell us oh, a yeah, little bit go, about that one? They go to like a fancy. Like, man, that restaurant... A fancy family Italian restaurant. The restaurants look terrible in the 80s. I just can't... Like, every picture I see of them, they're all, like, dark wood, or they've got carpet everywhere, and, like, tablecloths, and there's, like, roses on things. I remember these kinds of restaurants in the Central Valley on those road trips with my dad. That's funny. It's... it's. I mean, like, I guess it... It was, it was before the sort of fast casual, like, so chilies kind of stuff. it's before Olive Garden. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, or Applebee's. Or Red Lobster. Or Red Lobster, <laughs> yeah. or any of those. So you had actually, like, family-run or, like, independently-run yeah. kind of well, middle-of-the-road restaurants. it's so funny because, like, I mean, I guess I grew up driving across... Our big road trips were across the Southwest. And none of the... I guess it was kind of Route 66, generally speaking, that yeah. sort of thing. So it was more sort of... There were family restaurants, but they weren't that sort of like overdone. Let's put white t- or beige tablecloths on everything. Oh, it was and more probably of a, the little napkin, yeah. a folded up napkin thing. Yeah, like swans or whatever. And the bread with the little wedges of butter. And, mm, yeah, yeah it didn't really. I mean, like that kind of thing gives me nightmares. It just makes me think that we'll be sitting at the table forever waiting for the check. But <laughs> so this time the gag is. Well, they, and they get, He's like, used up the Christmas money, yeah. so he the bill comes, and he doesn't have enough money to pay. By the way... He, he knows she has money because she just bought a $600 car, so... I can't remember what, in what order this is, so yeah. I'll take your word for it that yeah. that already happened. Yeah. Anyway, she says, you got the room. No, this is right after the okay. first room, I think. Mm. This must have happened after, this, okay. after the yeah. first motel room. It doesn't matter. Whatever. So she's, you got the room. I'll get the check. Yeah. We see her walk over purportedly to pay the check. She leaves to go get the car. He's at the table just kind of sipping his water quietly. He hasn't quite left yet. And then the um, 
and he thinks it's fine to go. Oh, she pulls up outside the window, honks the horn. She's ready to go. Car's idling outside. He's like, oh, okay. Grabs his jacket, heads to the door. And the waitress catches him at the door and says, oh, the lady said you would pay for it. The gentleman yeah. would pay. Yeah. And then he's like, oh. Yeah. He doesn't have any money. And then it's quickly like, uh, do we have a situation here? Scary giant chef comes out. Do we have a problem here, dad? Looks like we have a potential cash flow problem. He runs out. Yeah. They chase him down. He throws himself into the back of the convertible. They peel away with angry chef like running down the street. You know, one of those things, angry chef running down the street screaming at him. And then, of course, she's got him into another weird, semi-dangerous, impulsive, illegal situation. He doesn't even know that she knocked off the the liquor store. Yeah, he doesn't. Although it did show up on the local news on the TV they were watching in the hotel room. I don't know if he was actually watching that. No, he yeah. I feel like it was on in the background while he yeah. was making the fake call to his wife or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then it's road movie to yeah. Pennsylvania. And you have them like, you've got all these great scenes of them like singing Wild Thing. Yeah. And, and they, they pick, pick up, up all these neat people, yeah. like the all these different people by the yeah. side of the road. And you've got this kind of little party going down the highway with them all strum, somebody strumming the guitar in the yeah. background. Um, guy with the family. Um, yeah. And they're all singing Wild Thing and kind of like, look how like cool and, you know what I mean? Yeah. And nice they are. Like they're, they're of the people yeah. now. <laughs> um, and then... All of a sudden, we pull up at her family house in some weird little, some quiet little, boring little suburb, cute, Yeah. in Pennsylvania. I think it's a small town, actually, based on, I know small, small town vernacular. It's very, it's definitely a small town. She, she <laughs> knocks on the door and says, don't call me Lulu. By the way, my name's Audrey. Yeah. Just like that. Oh, yeah. and we're married. Yeah. I don't even know if she told him that or just introduces him in the door. Her mom answers. Her sweet yeah. mom, Peaches. Call, just call me Peaches. Just call me Peaches. All the little, one of those cutesy little houses, yeah. right? Describe her decor. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like it's, little doilies and knickknacks yeah. and dolls <laughs> and fluffy pillows and cuteness. Yeah. Not as cute as the cute lady in uh, 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 the David Byrne movie we just saw, but never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Sometimes the movie, the titles leave my mind. Yeah. Um, True stories. Anyway. Yeah. So when she, she, she goes up to change, I think, right? To take a shower or something like that. Yeah. Her mom's delighted to see her. Oh, Audrey. I always love it when you stop by. She, well, they introduced Charlie as her husband. Oh, when'd y'all get married? Oh, last September. And, you know, Charlie's really handy and he's going to fix up our room. We live in Stony Brook or whatever. And, oh, I'm real handy, you know, and, and, um, and she transforms herself for the first time. Yeah. Remember? No more wig, no more Lulu. She's Audrey. She's She's, wearing her high school prom dress. Comes blonde hair yeah short nothing like she was the all the weird jewelry is gone and she's now small town girl come back home yeah well what's interesting too is like after they have dinner and audrey's off doing whatever um they have a conversation about um you're not really you're you're probably married but not to my daughter essentially is what peaches says to him as they're doing the dishes so like Audrey has done this before. She picks up dudes and brings them home and pretends that 
they're her husband or her boyfriend. Or, I just love that scene yeah. <laughs> because we're willing to, they have dinner together. Yeah. You know, it's meatloaf. You can see the ketchup on the table and they just are telling innocuous small town stories. Charlie is a master of just making up little lies about their life together. And like he, he and it comes up several times that Audrey says to him, I'm going to call her Audrey instead of Lulu. Now that we yeah. know that's her name um, says, you know, you're a real good liar when you, when you yeah, want to be Charlie. When you want to be Charlie. Yeah. And the funny thing is that comes back in a big way because yeah. we all find out how much of a liar he is later on. Yeah. But we don't know it yet. We know about the lie, about the dial tone, but we don't know the why or the wherefore or anything. Yeah. And so I guess that like the big thing that sets up the like conclusion to the movie is they end up going to her high school reunion. Where he runs into first. Her 10 year high school reunion. Yeah. It's the spirit of 76. Although like to me, like none of those people look like they had only, they were only 10 years out of high school. I'm telling you people look older then. It's maybe the the smoking. Have you ever seen these (laughs) movies from the fifties? Like whatever, Reefer Madness or whatever. Where everybody in the 40s and 50s, they're like teenagers, but they look like they're 40, or, yeah. or the 20 year olds it's look the like smoking. they're 40. It's, it's everybody it's smoking's smoked. bad for you. It's the smoking. Yeah. And the bad haircuts. <laughs> and the bad haircuts. <laughs> and the stiff, starched collars yeah. and all everybody that stuff. Everybody has to wear a hat. Everybody looks old. Yeah. <laughs> older. I don't even know what we're talking about. So like a lot of a lot of crazy stuff happens at the high school reunion. Like they run into a guy that he works with. They run into Larry from accounting. Yeah, who's the husband of one of Lulu's uh, Peggy. Peggy, yeah, Peggy. Somebody she went to high school. Peggy's with. very uncomfortable with all of this. Um. <laughs> yeah, she's adorable. She's got a little uh, party hat on, yeah. and this this kind of. Very quiet, mousy sort of woman. She's like seven months pregnant, too. That's right. She's very pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) And very wide-eyed and you can tell somewhat concerned about everything yeah. and, and, and her, husband's, wants, her husband's kind of a tool too so he's a tool he's yeah. kind of basically winking and and not even wink outright saying stuff that's about like so and it's, didn't think you had it in it's you it's interesting because it's through him that we discovered that like what we didn't know is that jeff daniels is divorced that his wife a year ago took the kids and left him for a dentist which like that's the dream isn't it how many people did that happen to in, in the 80s? Uh, <laughs> Fucking dentists. Dentists. In my mind, it's, uh, uh, what's his name's uh, dad from uh, from Freaks and Geeks. Not really, but. <laughs> Who's the dentist in Freaks and Geeks? Uh, is it Neil's dad is a dentist? Oh, yeah. And he's having an affair? Anyway. Oh. <laughs> Gee, I need to rewatch Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. I don't remember that particular storyline. Yeah. Okay. So. This is about the midpoint of the movie. Yeah. Is it really just the midpoint? It's I about, think it's a little past. It's that. about 50 minutes in mm. or so. And, and uh, we have a very abrupt tonal change. Yeah. Even the music, which is the feelies, by the way, yeah. is the band at the high school reunion. Yeah. It's been pretty upbeat music and stuff the whole time. All of a sudden... Charlie and uh, Audrey are out there dancing on, on the dance floor. It, the, the song ends, the lights go black. Yeah. The room gets dim, and then the feelies start playing like a quiet, sort of ominous, slow builds mm. guitar, sort of atmospheric thing. And that's when who appears? Ray. Ray. So Man from her past. We don't know how or who. And it's he's Ray been Liotta in prison. playing a character named Ray. Yeah. 
we soon learn he's just gotten out of prison. He has a history with Audrey. Yeah. She's clearly floored that he's there. Yeah. And that moment where he appears, dances up to her with that other f- friend or his, his date for the night, that other woman. It kind of reminds me of that scene in Greece where... Uh, where the evil guy dances up with the... It's like nearly the same. It's, it's, it's an homage to Greece. <laughs> to Greece, yeah. <laughs> so this is Ray Liotta appearing in the movie and taking the fucking thing over. Yeah, he does. Because he this movie is not a romantic comedy. It's not a screwball comedy. It's not a road movie. It suddenly goes all hell into the terrifying... Uh, appearance of ray and the chaos that he brings into their life that night tell me more about ray um you know he's he's like the um yeah i mean totally like a a reference to greece sort of like you know with the slicked back hair and the leather jacket and the like big belt buckle and like boots and i don't know how big black car you know, what, it's a Cadillac. What Ray Liotta does with this character. Yeah. But he's very talkative, extroverted, like trying to be charming in a very overperformed, yeah. not not acting wise, but yeah. I mean like he's a very large, got a very large personality. Yeah. He's all joking around, but there's, it's Ray Liotta. He's got those scary eyes and yeah. there's always a menace to it. When he has that like scar or something on his, did you know what that's from? No, I don't know what that's I from. Was, I was, it's like a burn or a, a tear or something. Well, I don't know if he'd been in a car accident I or something. I was watching an interview with Jonathan Demme and he was like, all the casting of the movie like was so, came so easily. Yeah. Like Melanie Griffith Pop appeared in his mind when he read the script. Yeah. He like had just seen Melanie Griffith in Brian De Palma's Body Double, yeah. and was like, "She's so extraordinary. She's got this range, and I can see her being both sides of Lulu and really pulling that off." They got her for the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, the Charlie character, Jeff Daniels' yeah. character, was originally going to go to Kevin Klein. That's who they wanted. Interesting. And I think Kevin Klein passed on it i think and um they somebody suggested uh jeff daniels and they brought him in and he was perfect but they couldn't figure out the ray character they saw hundreds of people they saw everybody like they saw everybody and they weren't getting it and jonathan demi had it in his head that um he wanted to cast somebody in that role who scared him yeah he for the audience to believe it he needed to believe it yeah he just needed to feel that and uh, somebody suggested uh, Ray Liotta, who had pretty much just, uh, he was in a daily soap or something mm. at the time. And they're like, uh, oh, oh, Melanie Griffith suggested him. Okay. There's this guy in my acting class who's kind of scary looking, and I can totally picture him being this character. And by the way, his name is Ray. Yeah. Have you guys seen him? And John Demi's like, I don't know. Um, he gets to his casting director, and the casting director's like, yeah, we saw him already. We, we you know, we did a tape or whatever. Yeah. And, um, but he's like, I think we should bring him in again, because Melanie thinks he'd be perfect for yeah. this. They brought him in again. And he said, when Ray Liotta came in, to the room and read for this part like his <laughs> his throat constri- like Jonathan Demi's like I immediately was like afraid to be in the room with this guy when he yeah. was playing this part like he was terrifying yeah I think he's terrifying yeah he is I know I mean there's there's some people actors that are particularly good at like 
casting this like if, even when they're being like friendly and this casting this like menace over everything that they're doing and do you know you know that that you just know that under everything is this like seething like violence and you know and there's a feeling that you don't know what at what point it can come out yeah at any moment you feel like he can flip a switch yeah and I think that's because the the air of friendliness that he's putting out yeah. is also kind of menacing. Yeah. And you sense that it's not real. Yeah. I don't know that Charlie doesn't seem to sense it. Not well, he's also drunk. So he'd been drinking a lot. So Clearly <laughs> though, so we're all picking up on the fact that Audrey Audrey's terrified of this guy. Yeah. She doesn't want this guy from her past to come up and socialize yeah. with them. He asks them out to go out for a drink, right? Yeah. They, he pulls out and she's like no. And Charles like, oh, come on, one drink, right? Yeah. And, and come on, Audrey, just one drink for old time's sake. And she yeah. said, okay, I'll give you the one drink. She should yeah. not have given him the one drink. No. I, it's interesting to like watch the, like, you know, n- given what, what I understand about like controlling behavior, like how like slowly he isolates them, you know, so. First- Is it slow? Yeah, it's, I mean, like, T- first... Talk about it. It's like a shark. Tell, yeah, tell he me gets, what he does. I mean, like, he... He gets them out of the... Out of the thing. thing and then the invites them to a drink. And then they stop to get cigarettes. liquor and cigarettes at, at a convenience store. And they get rid of the fourth wheel that they have. The, his raised date for the date night. for They're, the night. Who is some actress that I sort of recognize. I don't know who she is. Yeah, she's... She, I think she's, like, in sitcoms or something. I don't know. I recognize her from somewhere. Um, anyway, they get rid of her, leave her at the, and they then just drive away yeah. from her from the first liquor store. And then he stops in to get cigarettes at another store. And then he goes in and like beats he, up the cash well, register. He goes in, he, Charlie, the come cash- up, come in with me yeah. to get the smoke. So I want to show you something. <laughs> yeah. He, he takes him in there. I love this. He like points out the surveillance camera yeah. and says, Hey, have you ever been on TV before, Charlie? Look, there's one right there. Yeah. Go on. Say hello to the camera, Charlie. Yeah. Go on. This is your turn to be on TV. And Jeff Dan is a little bit drunk. And he's yeah. like, Oh, this is kind it's of funny, right? This yeah. is like, okay. And he starts like giving a speech to the thing. In the background, Ray beats up, pistol whips the poor convenience store Dirt clerk, clerk. Yeah. Um, robs the till, yeah. grabs a pack of cigarettes. Uh, couldn't find the Marlboros was the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Charlie, uh, uh, oh, he shoots out the camera. Yeah. The, the TV screen. But there's lots of cameras in he there, shoots so it doesn't out, really matter. No, no. He shoots the TV screen, and that's when Charlie realizes what's going on yeah. behind him. And he is like, Ray, you bastard, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He goes over to try and help the clerk. Ray beats him, kicks the shit out of him, yeah. breaks his nose. Yeah. And then... Um, he's like, you're on camera. They see you, and they they head out, jump in the car, and peel away. He throws Charlie into the back. Yeah, like you're not, you're in this now. You wanted to be in this. You're in this, buddy. And then he drives him out to some like abandoned like biker motel or something like that, which. To me, this is like the funniest scene in the movie, which is like when they get there, there's like music blasting and motorcycles and it's really loud. And so they go in and he's like yelling at Charlie and someone on the other side of the wall keeps like knocking on the wall like, shut up. Well, that's when Ray loses his shit. Yeah. (laughs) 
which is hilarious because it's so loud there. And the person next door is mad about the person yelling in the, the hotel room. There's next really door. loud music thundering through the <laughs> whole motel. There's literally a burning trash can yeah. right outside yeah. the room. There's constant traffic. There's kids like playing or yeah. something. Some guy just, I don't know. It's <laughs> total chaos. And you know what? I hope this place exists because I, sure I, I want to think they went location scouting and found this terrifying shithole in the middle of the night and like booked oh, a room and just sure. shot well it's it. funny because it's it's got great wallpaper too um it's another one of those like is it like carpeted up, or something oh wallpaper? i'm sure it has like terrible like thick like gross carpet i'm sure it does you know um so you alluded to this before <laughs> but uh, at some point i guess um ray and uh um Charlie's co-worker, the guy in accounting who they run into at the thing, that they have a moment together where yeah. he's like, well, there's a... Me- the- Larry's like, there's a guy who landed on his feet. Yeah. That's when he tells him, like, wife took the kids, ran off with the dentist last yeah. last September. Look at him now with Lulu yeah. or Audrey or whatever yeah. and all, like, the ladies' man and, like, having this great affair and all that kind of stuff. So now and he's so- got, like, blood running all down his nose and... Um- so this is the moment when Ray decides to tell Audrey, he's been lying to you a blue streak the yeah. whole time. That guy's not married. I know for a fact that his wife left him with the dentist. And Charlie's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So, I mean, it's interesting because she does appear hurt that he lied to her. But I think that there's something else going on because when we... And and this oh, is this I, is like Audrey starts going along with Ray, because she doesn't want Charlie to be hurt anymore, I think. I agree. And she doesn't want to be hurt herself I either. I agree Or with the you. two things. I think when she says, get the fuck out of here, yeah. I can't believe you lied to me, yeah. just leave. Yeah. I think she's saving him. Yeah, She's yeah. releasing him. She gets, Ray's like, get the fuck out well, of here. Well, and she's saving herself because she knows that this is a situation where they both could be hurt or killed. And so, I mean, like, this is, like, classic. And this is a point where Charlie yeah. trying to be a Boy Scout could actually get them both killed. Yeah, essentially. So she, Ray casts him out. Yeah. Audrey it's, throws him the keys to the car they left behind. So he runs over to where they left the car, and, um, and Charlie, we think he's going to drive home, Charlie but he could doesn't. be out of the movie. He could yeah. just be on his way out yeah. at this point, except yeah. for the fact that he's in the surveillance cam of the of the robbery. Yeah. Um. But he goes and gets the car. He doesn't drive. You were unclear about that at first. Yeah. He doesn't go back to New oh, York. I was like, what is he doing? Why is he in Virginia? <laughs> because Charlie now. Little, Where were they going? Charlie, the friendly. Are they going to Florida? Like, what is the purpose yeah, of going to Virginia? Yeah, I think they're just heading down the coast okay, of Florida. Yeah. I think they're just peeling all the way down, whatever. Yeah. Um, Which, like, we missed an opportunity to shoot in Charlie Miami Charlie could here. leave scot-free right now. <laughs> 80 is Miami. Would have been good. He gets the car. And he tails them, and um, I'm I can't remember. Oh, okay, we, yeah, they end up in Virginia. Yeah, he follows them. It's the next day or whatever, right? Yeah. And um, so they must have driven most of the yeah, night. No, That's Charlie, a long drive. Charlie to... goes into surveillance mode, like yeah. the little spy mode, right? He mm-hmm. goes into the. He finds out the little hotel, roadside hotel, that motel that they're at. And um, goes in and changes his clothes. Yeah. But like ditches the cheap like 
antique store uh, suit that he's wearing yeah. and and gets a pair of stupid sunglasses. Uh, uh, well, those are Audrey's sunglasses. They were in the oh, car. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Virginia's for Lovers <laughs> t-shirt and literally like changes his clothes with the help of the convenience store clerk. Yeah. It puts um, it on the company cards. Puts it on the company cards. We're mm. beyond worrying about the company cards or the Christmas fund at this point. Yeah. And uh, also, well, his buddy a, in accounting said they'd cover it for him. Gets so. a, yeah. <laughs> Driggs, you should have told us. We could have covered this. We could have covered it for you. <laughs> so anyway, and he's got uh, uh, binoculars, and he's yeah. gonna. He's uh, he's um, scoping them out. Yeah. What's it called? <laughs> Stakeout, stakeout, essentially. What's the cop word? He waits for his moment in order to approach him. He actually misses a point where um, Audrey tries to escape, and uh, uh, he's sleeping in the car, uh, yeah. and he missed that opportunity. But they go over to the cafe, and um, he waits until he sees there's some police officers in in the um, in the troopers, cafe. Yeah. yeah, and he like comes and sits down. And he's like, very breezy. He's like, like, you're, you're you're breaking your parole. You're carrying a weapon. You know, you, you knocked off a liquor store. I mean, a a convenience store. So like, you've got concealed. So I'm uh, leaving with Audrey, you know, we're going to walk out of here and there's not a thing you can can do do about about it. it. He's like, what are you talking about? And he he like gestures and it's, oh, hello officer. He's like saying, he always says hi to everybody. (laughs) That's a Charlie thing. He calls all waitress and service people by their names. And he's always like friendly and says hello to everybody. Goes out of his way to say hello to the state troopers like twice. Yeah. Evening officer. Well, and then like to like double stick him there, he's like, "Oh, I'll get the check." They pull the Audrey trick, and on him. then they leave without paying the check, and so and then the waitress and they take back. his wallet, so he can't leave. Essentially, he's stuck there with the state troopers there, yeah. and he can't even walk the check because yeah. the cops are there. Yeah. So and like the way he sort of escapes it is he had sort of like made eyes at this like seventeen year old uh, like girl that worked at a local store and she uh pays for his uh his thing yeah. so that he can leave um and then like it's not really clear like what car i guess he just steals a car in order to follow them back up oh, to they New show York. him stealing a car okay he steals yeah. a car he steals a car That's right, right right in the hotel lot after he grabs his stuff from the hotel and like they're on their way back to new york and audrey's like let's not go to my apartment well first of all they have a confrontation yeah. in the after right after he saves audrey yeah where she tells him to get the fuck out of the car yeah. and you're a liar and yeah. you're a bastard and you were lying the whole time. He's like, well, you were lying the whole time too. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And she drives away and leaves him at the train tracks. Yeah. Then she stops, pulls back, comes back out of the car <laughs> with a <the> gun. <laughs> and he's like, oh, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. But it turns out she's just throwing it in the gutter. Yeah. And then she's like, get in the car. And she's pissed at him. But they're kind of on even ground in a way now. Yeah. Look at all the shit she's gotten him into. Look yeah. at all the lies he told her. Yeah. He doesn't care. He doesn't have a well, wife and family I mean, to go back yeah, to. I, <laughs> He's just like, I mean, like, they're not, I mean, like, you lied to me, but, you know. You, is that the. Your ex-husband or your husband is trying to kill us. <laughs> isn't that the most important problem at this time? Well, that's. it's also funny because, like, she at the beginning appears to be the one that's not married and he's the one who appears to be married. And we learned that Ray's her husband and they never got divorced. Yeah, they never got divorced. So she is actually married and he is not, you know, so it's it's kind of interesting that that's where we end up. I love this this thing where she's like, how dare you, like, 
screw me and have an affair with me and not be a married man. Yeah. (laughs) So she's pissed that he's not married. There's, there's some show that that's like a thing, like, oh, it's, it's, It's you're the worst. Is that, oh, do they uh, have that too? yeah, that uh, Gretchen starts dating a guy that she thinks is married. It's and all... then when it finds out that she's not, she gets mad because she was like, I didn't want I didn't want a relationship with anyone that could be real. Funny thing <laughs> is, this is also a plot point in the Cary Grant Ingrid Bergman movie, Indiscreet, yeah. where okay. she has an affair with him thinking he's a married man. Oh, okay. And um, he's just pretending to be married. I don't know. It makes him more attractive or something. I don't yeah, know. Whatever it is. But she like gets over the fact finally because they, she falls in love with yeah. him and like she wants to have something with him anyway. And then when it turns out that he's lying, there's this great scene where she's like, how dare you make love to me and not be a married man? <laughs> so it's the same kind well, of thing. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess there's like, there's like some an emotional distance there if you know that it can't be a real thing. I guess it's it's, it's interesting that that seems to be a, a theme in in television that are in movies that I hadn't realized before. But I don't I've seen know it what, before. What Charlie's yeah. excuse was? Yeah. I think he's like I was trying to keep you at a distance. I didn't yeah. know what was happening, yeah. and I just wanted to keep up appearances or something. Yeah, and so they go back to his. Place they in can't the, go back uh, to her on place Long in, Island. They can't go to her place in Soho because Ray knows where yeah. it is. And then here comes the thing that, like, you know, as as easy as it is to find out information online these days, like Ray is able to just call the information in Long Island and get um, okay get Charlie's address. <laughs> there are squirrels or something yeah. running around yeah. on our rooftop. It's very disconcerting. Um, it's not Callie. I know that. Um, uh, so what I was going to say is, this is a real thing. Like, that's how easy it is. Yep. He he remembers that Charlie said he's from Stony Brook, Long Island. That's all he has. He's got yep. his name. And so he just calls information for yep. Stony Brook and asks for Charlie Charles Driggs. Yep. And, and then get, they have the address. This People were in the book back then. You were in the phone book. You were in information. You had to actually opt out. Yeah. I think you had to pay something to opt out. That's interesting. So you can just call information and get somebody's address back then. Do you remember the jerk? The scene where like there's it's the crazy shooter and he like yeah. just goes through the phone book and like Oh yeah. And then points Yeah. He hates these cans. Um Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And Steve Martin was so excited about finally being in the phone book. We did this on the podcast. Yeah, I just can't I know. cite what yeah. episode it is. Uh it's okay. Um so then we have the like one of the, a very terrifying like so I confrontation just, scene. Just to kind of <laughs> tell you the impact, just to reiterate yeah. for the audience what the impact is. Remember the way this started? No. Silly, quirky, quirky, mm-hmm. eccentric, screwball comedy with an edge. Everybody yeah. is a little too impulsive. Everything's a little bit darker and yeah. weirder than it should be. And now, really scary terrifying home invasion final confrontation them asleep in the early morning glass exploding and ray bursting into the house kicking the shit out of charlie throwing you know crashing through the whole house yeah handcuffs come back into it yeah grabs lulu's handcuffs which are still in her bag dumps everything in the sink and chains uh charlie up to the the pipe of the in the of, of the sink which is interesting because uh, I assume uh, Charlie's suburban knowledge of uh, plumbing would come in handy here because it would be pretty easy to like unhook yourself from that, generally speaking. 
<laughs> Which he's able to do. Well, he's like this. <laughs> yeah. So he, he does just pull. He just, you know, you, if you pull hard enough, you can break the pipe. Yep. It's not. But, too. well, anyway, he's chained up there. Ray goes off to who knows what with Lula. Lulu. Yeah. Take her. Kill her. Yeah. Yeah. What do, he's so angry at this yeah. point. This is we don't know. Yeah, it's the worst can happen. I mean, he's he's essentially strangling her. Like, you I know. forgot about that. Yeah, he's like he's well because she's trying to she's fighting and trying yeah. to get away, and yeah. he's trying to get her to shut up and yeah. stop fighting him, and then he does start strangling her, and that's Charlie gets out of his situation and uses the handcuffs to essentially. And he, he comes up behind Ray and starts to strangle Ray. Yeah. And they're in this, one of those terrible, you know, you talk about how yeah. fights in real life are yeah. messy. This is yeah, one of those. It's pretty messy This and is gross. a really gross, violent, chaotic yeah. fight in a pristine white bathroom yeah. on the floor, strangling Ray, the life out of him until Ray gets the upper hand, pulls a knife out of his boot, yeah. kicks Charlie aside because, oh, what's her name? Audrey comes in and hits him with the yeah. golf club. Yeah. That's our weapon of choice <laughs> Just, in Charlie's house. Is the it's golf a very, club. Uh, yeah, 80s. Uh... Audrey's got handcuffs <laughs> in her purse. Charlie's got a golf club in his house. And yeah. these are the weapons that come into play. Yeah. And then now the knife is there kicked across the floor when uh, Audrey hits him with the uh, golf club. Yeah. Charlie grabs it and stands up. And Ray flings himself around, turns around and launches himself at Charlie and impales himself on the knife. So, like, I think this is maybe the key to why this film was so badly reviewed is because, like, that is, like, the nightmare of the 80s. Home invasion. Oh, my God. Okay. You know, it doesn't happen that I often. I will tell you, the studio <laughs> did not want Charlie to kill Ray. And I know you can kind of argue that Ray impales himself on the knife. Yeah. Charlie's holding the knife and yeah. basically he's involved yeah. in killing Ray. They didn't want. They wanted to film a different ending. They oh, didn't want that to happen, and Demi had to fight for that. Interesting. That's how it was written in the original screenplay, and like, I I actually think they might have shot a different ending because they were given all. I, I think they were told they needed to or whatever, and yeah. so Demi had to go through that. But then in talking about it with the screenwriter again, the screenwriter is like, I don't even think this movie makes sense if he doesn't like everything yeah. is leading to this. Yeah. This is what the movie is about. Yeah. One of the other <laughs> things the movie is about is that great line that comes up a couple of times. It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that comes about by any means necessary. That comes out initially when they have terrible hangovers yeah. after drinking and they're waking up the next morning and the guy that some random guy in the uh, motel gives, gives him a Pepto-Bismol and his whatever it's hangover. Not, cure. It's not a hangover Anyway, cure. he gives it to him and he's like, drink <laughs> this down. Hangover cure. But that's the guy who says, <laughs> that's the guy who says it. Yeah. Hey, remember this. It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Yeah. Now here's the funny story about that. That guy, that that guy came about. That extra who's in the mm. movie came about because Jonathan Demi doesn't just like to use random extras. He yeah. finds people in his life or that he knows or, or who thinks would be good in a moment. And that guy was actually some like uh, like arts professor at a at a university or something. Mm. And, and Demi knew him and 
Um, he's just an interesting, quirky, really creative artist guy, kind of funky dude. And um, he, he wasn't supposed to have any lines. He was supposed to hand him that thing. And the guy said, hey, can I add a, can I add a line? <laughs> I got something I want to say to him. And um, Demi was like, well, do a take. Let's see what yeah. happens. And he didn't tell him what he was going to say. That's what he said in the moment. Yeah. Jeff Daniels didn't know he was going to say that. And the take you see in the movie where he laughs and is like kind of taking it back is really actually Jeff Daniels like had no idea the guy was going to say anything. And it's this line that is like so perfect. It's almost like thematic. Yeah. And Jeff Daniels did the same thing after the confrontation with Ray, right? Ray's wheeled away. The cops come. um, Audrey's taken away. Mm. Um, He loses track of her. Yeah. She's goes off to tell the police the rest of the story about her ex-con husband who broke in and tried to kill them and um leaving uh charlie completely changed i'm coming back to dead dog in a moment or live dog in a moment he quits his job yeah says goodbye to cheesy larry the guy in accounting who's always winking at him and like you know double entendres about audrey and stuff like that and uh so jeff daniels said I have a line I want to add to this scene. Can I do that? Yeah. And he was, he's the one who's, when he says goodbye to Larry, says, Hey, Larry, remember, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. That was Jeff Daniels adding that line as a, as a full circle sort of thing. (laughs) And it's really nice because it's so, it's like the theme of the movie in a way, at least when regards to Charlie's arc. And he's looking for Audrey. Yeah. He's, uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think, where do we leave Charlie there with him quitting the job? He's like dressed more casually. Yeah. He's kind of just walking around. He's gotten off the, out of the, the rat race, sort of his like financial advisor banking thing. We don't know what's next for him, but he's like clearly off that, yeah. <laughs> that life path now and ready for something you can't go back to the way things were is the sense yeah. of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting because I still think that the, this is all part of that, like fantasy. The, I mean, like there's the sex part initially, but I mean, there's also this, like the saving the girl, killing the bad guy, all of this. And then kind also of- like, I'm going to be a more counterculture type of person, or I'm going to like leave the, the set path. It actually kind of reminds me a lot of pretty woman. In a way, too, which comes, I think, in 91 is when yeah. Pretty Woman came out. Um, it, similar in a, in, in a way, you know. Um, but, yeah, that kind of, like, I'm saving, saving the girl from this awful, you know, situation that, you know. But there's also this, like, rural versus mm. urban versus suburban thing going on, mm-hmm. too, which is interesting. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of, um, yeah. Well, some people were saying this kind of gives you the landscape of America at this time because you see yeah. the urban, you see the, the suburban, suburban, you see the small suburban. town. Yeah. You see the Soho kind of counterculture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, I think it is like a pretty good picture of all those all those things, you know. There's a little bit, 
and this is the 80s and this is America, <laughs> a little bit more diversity in some of the characters that they meet yeah. too and the music they listen to. Yeah. It's very much the soundtrack is like world music and reggae. And, it's, yeah, um, it's David Byrne moving in firmly into his world music era. kind of. I like, think I was mistaken. I think yeah. David Byrne just does the opening track and wasn't yeah. really affiliated with the rest of the... Yeah, but I mean like that sort of where he's moving like in that sort of Izembra direction with his music you know yeah and don't forget this is around the time of uh of paul simon and graceland and south african yeah rhythms yeah. and and stuff like that too so there it, the the popular culture went a little bit more world musicy i think yeah for a while i think there. so but you yeah. weren't seeing a lot of it in mainstream movies there's no. definitely this the movie itself has a more hipstery feel than yeah. a lot of things would at that time yeah do you remember that albert brooks film we saw where they like Use all their life savings. Yeah, Lost in America. Lost in it's America. a great fun. That's so a great similar. movie. Yeah, sort of like that. They lose the nest egg. They're constantly yeah. talking about the nest, nest egg. egg yes. yes, we have the nest <laughs> egg. egg. Honey, you lost the nest, nest egg. egg. <laughs> in, in, in Las Vegas. Because <laughs> she develops a gambling problem. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good movie. Yeah. Um, so we leave Charlie at the end wandering around Soho looking for Lulu, and he ends up back at the Soho Cafe where it all started yeah. when he walked the check. Yeah. He doesn't walk the check this time. No, he paid. And yet, the and I'm actual... again surprised by how cheap a meal is in 1986. You can get a soda and a meal for three dollars and fifteen cents. <laughs> hey, it was the life. No, I mean it's inflation. That was yeah. that was that was expensive back then. Yeah, I, I guess, guess. So. I don't remember. I mean, it probably wouldn't be expensive. It's like a cafe, every man cafe kind yeah. of thing. Instead of know? ten bucks, it costs yeah. three bucks or whatever. Yeah. Well, and plus, like you know. In the 80s, that was like the heart of like urban hey, flight. You know how so Charlie changed? 80s was cheaper and that's why there was an art scene there because it was cheap to rent a, you know, a, a loft in Soho. You know how Charlie changed? <laughs> yes. He doesn't walk the check. Yes. Does he have more respect for the little person, for the waitress? And in he there? tips. He left and a pretty he good tips. tip. Only the waitress comes out after many, yeah. the actual waitress, not yeah. Audrey, the yeah. actual waitress comes out and says, do you think you can eat and not pay? You walk the check, all that. He's like, I didn't, I left it on the, he's outraged. I mean, he's yeah. not outraged, but he's confused. You know, yeah. Clearly, okay, it's not worth it. He's going to pay her again. And then Audrey comes out. Yeah. Oh, and she's completely changed again. Yeah. She looks now like she's dressed up from a 1940s movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, she does have she's sort of a, a big Cru- hat Cruella DeVille sort of look about her. And a gown, white gown. Yeah. And she's still in her blonde era. Yeah. She looks like a movie star from the 50s or something. Yeah. Uh, and she's got a, I don't even know what kind of car that is out front, but they're reunited. She's joking with him. She's, oh, she, it's like one of the original like wood-sided station wagons. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, from she, like the 40s. She grabbed the check as a gag. It's their bit, right? Yeah. Walking the check. Uh, it's kind of a dangerous uh, bit. Yeah. Maybe not compared to what they went through with Ray. Anyway, it's just to get his attention. She, they give the <laughs> thing to the waitress. And they're reunited, and then yeah. they go off together in the car, yeah. drive away. That's our movie. What a weird episode. We just told the story of the whole movie. <laughs> Is that the only way to to experience this? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, it's it's very... Like I'm, I'm curious. I didn't read about the screenwriters, like what their background is or anything like that. But it is. I mean, it does strike me as like a fantasy. Get me out of this rat race. The the making money. The being part of the you know capitalist infrastructure kind of thing. He's an you N- know? He was an NYU film stu- former film student. Yeah. Um. I think he was a 
painter, an artist yeah. in Soho, and also trying to get a screenwriting thing going together. And it was, I think, his first script. And it floated around for a long time, I think, yeah, with people. Yeah, it seems like it was... It was one of those ones that everybody, like, thought was really interesting, but they didn't think they could make it. Yeah, that everybody, or market it. Yeah, everybody passes thing. on it, but it's, like, one of those scripts that ever, yeah. that's kind of got a buzz around it. Yeah. And I can't remember what some some of the other ones back then. Well, were, and those end up being, like, really interesting films if they get picked up by the right director, you know. But yeah. then they never make any money, so then, you know. <laughs> well, this has the right director, even yeah. though it didn't do that well at the box office because people didn't know... And the test screenings how to yeah. what what to do with it yeah like what is it yeah and like it was too dark What's, it was perfectly dark for me like i like dark sex lies and videotape too i like of. dark and funny yeah so it's like my wheelhouse yeah but it kind of freaked out mainstream america or something so it didn't do that well but it always like the critics loved it it yeah. always it got really great press it's always and it's still like I don't know. It's in the 90s percent on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, something yeah. like that. It's still well regarded and it still actually plays really well, I think. Yeah. I don't know what else to compare it to. I guess I, I do think it has something in common with After Hours, which is also a yuppie nightmare. Yeah. But that one's just doesn't have any of the character development in it. It literally is more like just terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing happens to this guy. Yeah. I don't know that there's is much of a character. Bateman? Is that right? No, it's not Jason Bateman. Okay, sorry. It's uh, Griffin Dunn from okay. American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. I love that. The one who's the friend who's decomposing the whole oh, time. This is some of my favorite movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know his friend who yeah. looks increasingly... <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. I need to watch it again. Uh, did we ever do a podcast on that? No, we never did. Okay. Yeah. But I did see, show it to that you. That is one that... See, it's another one that fell the between the, the cracks. cracks. Yeah. I love that movie. Um, yeah. So... Okay, did we talk about this whole movie, but I don't know how you feel about it? I, I, so the thing is, is like, I like it. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the motivation of the characters. But the thing that about it is that it unfolds in a way that like, like, despite the sort of like, manic pixie dream girl start to the whole thing that they're like, you can sort of back engineer a motivation that is not understandable from the first, which mm -hmm. means to me that she's a little more complex than, I don't think she's as complex as she should be, but she's approaching a level of complexity that, that, you know, with, with the backstory of the abusive criminal husband and the, uh, you know, but want, also that wanting to impress her mom. Yeah, and, that it's important for yeah. her to go home and go yeah. to her high school reunion. Yeah, so I mean, like, I think that, like, and it, it is shocking at first because it does feel like the she's here to change his life, you know, but that... Okay, but what if you read, how do you, <laughs> yeah. how does it, what about if you think about this? Yeah. That she picks him up. Yeah. The day of the high school reunion. She's the going to the, she's going to the high school reunion. Yeah. She's all, all along going to yeah, go home exactly. and go to well, the... I mean, so did she pick him up so that she would have someone to yeah. go to the high school reunion with who looks normal? I mean, was she there looking for somebody to take to the high school reunion? I mean... Because that's kind that's, of a not believable motivation either, but it's, it's sort of there. Well, that's what I, I think that there's a way to reverse engineer it. And like I think that there could have been some choices made that made her a little more fleshed out that would have made this like an even more interesting film, but you know, I, I don't dislike it. I, but I do pick up on that sort of like, 
take me out of my suburban day-to-day life and, and, you know, you know. All ending up with Save the Girl. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. You know, so I mean, like, I think it is this sort of like escapist male fantasy. But I I mean, it's, it's more complex and interesting than... I don't think I experienced it as yeah. an escapist male fantasy, but maybe I'm a somewhat more sophisticated viewer, even, <laughs> even at 15 or 16 or yeah. whatever. I mean, maybe I'm not, but I don't think that's what I'm attracted to in the movie. No, no. But I mean, I, I definitely didn't think that that's a, that's a reading of it and maybe the one of the more obvious readings of it, you know. But I, I do think it's complex and interesting, but I think that that... That problem is the major issue that I have with it is yeah. that, you know, um, that that there are these wild women just out there picking up men for their own purposes. See, I don't I don't <laughs> care about that. Yeah. What yeah. I what? Well, I mean, and, and again, it's a quick way to get you into the story, which is what you need. What I like know. is that <laughs> all of these three characters are completely engaging. Yeah. I don't know where the movie's yeah. going. I have a sense of, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like you are watching this movie and can connect the dots and see where it's going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen this probably five, six times yeah. in my life. And, like, you do not know that this movie is going to have Ray or the dark side yeah. or any of that. Jonathan Demi said one of the things he was trying to do was to marry a screwball comedy with film noir yeah, yeah, and see if you could do it. And I think he does, but it also does sort of feel like two films. (laughs) Yeah. But not in a bad way. No, I I think it's a good thing that you can't, it's not predictable and that it's got these terrifying tonal changes. I love, I think as a director that it would be really exciting to experiment with how far can you change the tone in the same movie yeah, and well, still land on your feet. Interesting because like she plays it more as a screwball character, not as a femme fatale. Like when you, but like his sort of like cluelessness works equally well in a screwball in or a noir, like the, the gum, whatever well, that's the he, gumby that gets he's set likable every man yeah he's so like but like her i mean and Melly griffin's a fantastic actress but like i think it's really hard to like split that difference between because she goes from being this crazy like fun silly person to like a vulnerable human being but there isn't like this sort of how femme fatale sort no, of thing no. going on at all. No, so. and I think, I guess what Demi probably means is is the darkness and the criminality yeah. and the sense of um, unmoored, unhinged, like, you know, the yeah. world's rules falling apart and you're ending, yeah. going in this dark sort of thing. I think it's more the tone of film noir than, I don't think he's yeah. saying film, uh, femme fatale or anything like no, that. No, no, well, I didn't think so. But I mean, like, if you're going to make that comparison, then that naturally brings up that. You know, so at that point, Audrey has been established as a more vulnerable human being. There you know? are some of those scenes where they're, I think, where they're before everything goes haywire, where yeah. they're like trapped in the car with Ray, yeah. maybe before or right after the, that look of haunted history in her yeah. face and weariness. Yeah. And like, 
Melanie Griffith definitely brings all the past of the dark times with yeah. Ray and that life they must have yeah. led together. Also, I don't know if you remember, we had a hint of Ray coming when Charlie's looking through her yearbooks and yeah. stuff in her family room in the, yeah. in the house in Pennsylvania. He's upstairs just lying there looking through her memorabilia and he comes across her yearbook. And there's a couple clippings of of like roadside uh, uh, stick up yeah. uh, guy, local man racing. Like you see a couple headlines that she's clipped about this uh, stick up man. Yeah. And I mean, like you can understand like what a small town, like a small town girl with a, you know, a little bit of a wild streak would be attracted to that sort of, you know, energy and not realize at first the danger, you know, around why is, that. You why know? do you think it's important for her to go? Why does she go back to her high school reunion? What does that mean to her? Yeah, I, I don't and know. And who is Audrey if she's not <laughs> Lulu, like the whole Lulu shtick in the yeah. beginning? Or, or she is. These are the yeah. many sides of her. Yeah. But I wonder, what is there some, is she trying to go back to... Something, I don't know. And the innocence not, of high school? Because that doesn't not, sound like high school was that innocent for her. She's not the point of view character, so we don't get to know that. But I want know? her to be, I yeah. want her to have so, more. So, I mean, like, that's the thing that's like, is she developed or is there just the implication of her full development? And I don't know the answer to that question. I think that the things that we learn about her as a whole actually do make her a pretty well-rounded mm. character. Yeah. And then you combine that with what Melanie brings to it i think it's there but i want more yeah yeah exactly i don't think it's an under like or not written character yeah i don't think they've stuck like um manic pixie dream girl character yeah in the movie like it's not just a a character who is just there for the male fantasy yeah even if you argue that I, got I mean, I definitely think that there is an element of that in this. I mean, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Men can have fantasies. That's fine. No, I'm but just I'm saying there's that... more to her character than just being an instrument. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, I kind of want more or something. I do too. Yeah. I think know? we agree on that. Yeah. And I also agree about, I don't, I'm not at peace with the setup of the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know what you would change because, like, you do need to get into the story quickly. You have to. I just don't know what you would change in order to give it a little more of an obvious motivation other than, you know, maybe it's Charlie has a different tell, you know, Mm -hmm. or something. That there's something a little more interesting about him than just that he walks a check, you know. Well, (laughs) also... That he goes off on this adventure, yeah. that he's lying the whole time, yeah. and he's not the good guy that he. Well, oh, okay, he's a, you know the whole like. I mean, like, but his. I mean, like, her story is interesting. His is just he got a divorce because his wife left him. I mean, yeah, like, that's but not. But he's also he's also not a ne- he's not a nice guy. Yeah, necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Well, he's not not a nice guy. He's just divorced, and and he's lying. He's lying about being divorced. I guess. <laughs> I think he's lying about being the VP too. Yeah, but about being I, I don't know if that's true. I, it's never clear to me whether he actually got I, a promotion. I or just not. thought he was like exaggerating because <laughs> yeah. I thought he got a look from uh, his friend that uh, oh VP yeah, yeah. congratulations yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't think that's important. 
Uh, anyway, yeah. I Hopefully mean, like, he paid back the Christmas fund. I, I do enjoy <laughs> this film. There are a few little quibbles I have with it, but it's not enough for me to like completely well, withdraw from it or anything like that. So It's my boy, Jonathan Demme. Yeah. Like, I really <laughs> love him as a director, and mm-hmm. I haven't even seen his everything, but... Yeah. Like, we love Stop Making Sense. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs is a masterpiece. Yeah. And that's where he went after this. I mean, I don't know if it was directly the next movie he made. Uh, No, it would have been... Silence of the Lambs didn't come out until like 90... 90, 91, 92, 92, something like that. So it's a few years down the line. But that's... Also did not see that when I was 11 years old. That is a masterpiece. (laughs) Or when you were five before it existed. Um, I saw that on Valentine's Day. That's a fun date movie. (laughs) Who did you take? <laughs> I went with Erica. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's I can see that. <laughs> no, that's totally the, that that that's that that totally made sense. It makes sense to me too. <laughs> yeah, let's go see a terrifying. She was a psychology student. Yeah, remember? Yeah. yeah. Let's go see a terrifying serial killer oh, so movie. Do you know how many times I read Silence of the Lambs when I was in high school? A lot. It was a lot. Okay, I took <laughs> I took a film class. That was just on Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. Interesting. So so yeah. think about that. Yeah. Don't psychoanalyze me too much. No, I'm just okay. kidding. I'm not a serial killer. Um, so that's, I mean, like, I just Silence play one of the Lambs is what no. made me want to go into psychology as my bachelor's. Oh, I took that class. Yeah. The, that professor was the most fascinating, like, French film professor who was obsessed with semiotical yeah. semiotics readings of movies and the symbology and the structures, uh, paradigms. and stru- I was like, oh my God, the weird BS essays we had to write. Well, it was a lot of fun. So like, I always think it's fascinating the like weird obsession that people have with serial killers now, because I mean, like I understand it. I was into that when I was a teenager or whatever, but this sort of like glamorization of serial killers, but like the reality of it is, is that like, they're not like how you write them in Silence of the Lambs, that they're actually like disorganized, crazy people. Right. You know, it's not, there's not these interesting, like complex things going on. They're just crazy, disorganized people. Well, you know, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs gives you Hannibal Lecter as yeah. a genius yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that, who happens to have a taste for yeah. human flesh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we went off on a tangent there. Well, I just, I just think that that's that's interesting that there's this, like, glamorized view of of of. I can't watch any know, of that stuff yeah. anymore. So well, actually, it's like the obsession with Bonnie and Clyde for like that's true. You know that everybody in the '80s, everybody's a Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde. Well, Warren Beatty. So <laughs> I can't remember if I said this on the show before, but you know, I really dug Silence of the Lambs. And could and was sort of interested, you know. I read all yeah. the books. I read yeah. Red Red Dragon, Red and Dragon. And, um, mm-hmm. and I even read some of the nonfiction stuff by the, that guy John Douglas, the mm-hmm. uh, who everything's based on. Yeah, like he Crawford, the character yeah. in Silence Lambs, based on John Douglas yeah. and his uh, serial profiling. killer profiling. Yeah, right. I read. He wrote a couple of books, and they were fascinating. I read all that stuff back then, but when I had kids, I could not watch that stuff anymore. Yeah. I could not watch human bodies being true desecrate you know i could not yeah. watch things that dark yeah. about that actually seemed to take place in the real world yeah that, about i did not want to hear about serial killers i didn't yeah. want i could no longer do that and i still am kind of that way yeah. i've never really been able to go back i have seen silence of the lambs 
fairly recently in the last couple of years again. And I do still think it's a great film and I can watch that movie. I think probably because I saw it before that and I associate it with the, with the past time and it's a movie to me, you know, but I, I'm not going to watch Dahmer or any of that shit. I can't watch that stuff. No. Yeah. I hold human life too well, close yeah, in my heart now. Well, it's you know, interesting. Can, no, you, know, I, you know, Dan Savage was talking about how, like, when Dahmer came out, like, he, he couldn't watch it because he knew people, like, in his life that yeah. had been, you he know. He knew victims. He knew victims. People that he knew in that yeah, scene. in that scene, yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I mean, like, I, this is, I guess it's the violence that we're, we're talking about. That's how this relates to it, but... Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Oh, and Jonathan Demi. So <laughs> he's a great director. Yeah. I don't think he made that many films. Yeah. Um, we lost him a few years ago. He passed away. Yeah. Um, another one that I liked later on, um, very late. Well, I don't know. Rachel getting married. Do you, did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That was a good movie with Anne Hathaway. Isn't I, it? It's. I don't know. It's so, there's so many because there was another one that's like somebody at the wedding, which I got. Confused. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I've seen them both. Yeah, but yeah, it's depressing. Rachel getting married, yeah. but it's good. Yeah. Um, so is somebody at the wedding. But he also made like <laughs> some of those big Oscar bait movies. Mm. I'm not uh, Philadelphia. I've never seen Philadelphia. Um, oddly, beloved. I think he did. No, oh, okay, I didn't see that either. Um, so he did some of those big movies, and I actually haven't seen either of those movies in so long that I don't know how I feel about them. Yeah, I just know they're. I know that Philadelphia they're very much won Oscar a bunch of movies. I love the book, beloved. I don't remember if I liked the film adaptation. It's one of Oprah's productions, right? I think, I think so. so. Yeah, but Demi directed that, um, and then he went back to a smaller, more independent type of film like Rachel Getting Married, which is another character-driven movie, yeah. like where he started out. Even before this, I think that movie Melvin and Howard is very much in that kind of zone. Anyway, I don't know. I thought the movie would be good to look at again. <laughs> I was always somewhat disappointed that I showed it to you before we started the podcast. Yeah. So I don't know. It came to mind recently as, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. And I'd like to have the conversation we never got to have. I don't know. I It's it's weird is that I seem to have this. And I don't think it's even like a nostalgia thing for me because I just would have been too young. But because I'm interested in the music from this time period, like most of my favorite like bands are from like starting like the late 70s till the like early 90s or it's kind of my like favorite music. Well, we bonded over the Talking Heads. Yeah, essentially. I mean, my favorite band is Talking Talking Mm -hmm. Heads. I love the Pixies. I love They Might Be Giants from this time period, you know, um, The Clash and the Ramones and all and of this that soundtrack. Yeah. I think there's, I, I, I actually just the other day found the soundtrack record yeah. used at, uh, pavement at, at, <laughs> end, end of what pavement. Sorry. I was just listing bands. Oh, I was like, no, not at mm. the record store is called end of an ear. It's no. one of our best yeah. record stores in Austin. Um, I found the soundtrack for this movie. It's only got like 10 or 11 songs on yeah. it, but the soundtrack of the movie has like 49 songs or something I yeah. read about that. And so there's, we, I'm don't, sure there's we, a playlist. we don't get any of the feelies uh, songs in, yeah. on, on the record, but this soundtrack was so great for the time. Just the soundtrack well, the itself. The feelies were mostly doing covers. It had all the stuff you liked. It had 
David Byrne does the opening song. It's mm. got New Order. It's got Fine Young Cannibals. It's got Oingo Boingo. Um, Jimmy Cliff does the song at the end when he's like wandering around Soho. Looking That's for more him. you than me, but. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it does have a lot of reggae and yeah. world music. It's got Yellow Man, which is yeah. like, you know, I st- totally I not your kind of reggae. Some reggae is okay. Not all reggae is okay. But like, same thing. Hey, the Harder They Come by Jimmy Cliff yeah. is good, good reggae. Song. Thumbs some, up. A lot of punk is good. Some punk is not good. It's true. I like I like bass driven punk, you know, which comes out in my love for the Pixies as well, which is inspired, you know. So it's like, it makes sense. I bonded over the <laughs> the soundtrack with the guy at the record store when yeah. I bought it. He's like, "Oh my god, this is the best movie!" Yeah. And, was, and I was like, "And the soundtrack?" He's like, "Oh, the soundtrack," but they left off so many of the things. I was like, "Yeah, but it's still." And he's like, "He's like, you know what? I DJ and the and the the version of uh, Temptation by New Order on this mm. is like the one that I play. Okay. He's like, it's different. You can't find it anywhere else. It's the perfect version of it on yeah. this record. He's like, I bring it when I DJ all the time. I play that track off this record." And he was like, good job. You know, I got like a thumbs up from the people at the register. Like, oh, wow, we had this for five bucks. I was like, it's totally clean. doesn't have a scratch on it. Five bucks. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I used to have the cassette. Well, it's funny. It's like nowadays, like I can tell like where my kind of people are because like I'll sit down. We went, my mom and I, when, when um, she was visiting me and Eugene, we went to the Italian restaurant there and like I sat down and they're playing the Pixies and the Smiths and, um, uh, and talking heads, and I'm like, okay, well, this is these people are obviously my people. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. So uh, I I don't know if it's just coming back or if I feel like we had a situation like Eugene. that recently. Maybe when we were in Eugene, some place where we were out at a cafe or something, and they were literally playing all of our music. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it means that people my age, um, alternate people, live where live there, and. Um, yeah. And own businesses now, I think is what it means. <laughs> Which means I'm behind again, but it's fine. Anyway, um, do you have any other thoughts on this movie before we sign off? No, I mean, I I, I really liked it. Um, you know, it was a toss-up. Yeah. I, I was going to go maybe Repo Man. Yeah, well, we'll maybe we'll have a time to get around to Repo Man. We- Repo Man. Yeah. The holiday classic Repo Man and American Werewolf. Yeah, we did not. We didn't go thematic. (laughs) I I mean, it's towards the. We're recording this at the end of December. I don't. Maybe we'll just release it in January, or maybe I'll release it today. I don't know. Haven't decided yet. Um. So you're done. I'm done. Okay. Well, I'm done too. Um. And it's only been an hour and a half. So I mean, it's kind of a short episode for us. No. Um. It's about average. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Shut Up and Watch This. And uh, we will be back uh, with uh, a movie that may or may not be by Mike Lee uh, at some point. Because after all, sometimes we record this out of order. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway. We never do um, Spoilers. Uh, so uh, catch up with us. Uh, subscribe. Tell your friends. Leave us a review. And uh, thanks for listening. And we will be back soon. Or not soon. Maybe in a month or so. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Bye.